And it's pretty clear in the book. It doesn't take very long. Uh, Usually in those first two meetings, I'm going to get anyone to the point of saying, well, from what you're telling me, let me ask you these two questions. If when you're drinking, do you have little control over the amount you drink? And when you've really wanted to, if you found you couldn't quit entirely, if they say yes, then it's like page 44 says, you're probably an alcoholic. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Volare, whoa, volare. <laughs> that came to mind. You know, I don't even know what volare is. I, I, I know that it was a car commercial back in the, I don't know, 1940s or something. Like that, I'm a long time ago, but I don't know what Valari means, but it just sounds like a, a happy word. And I'm assuming they wouldn't have named a car after if it if it was like something like stiffer death and destruction or something like that. Anyway, that was the voice of Mr. Gary K, our old friend, not old, old, but like he's been around the, the program, he's been around the show for a while, our old friend Gary K at the beginning of this episode, and you're going to be hearing so much more from him in just a moment, but first things first, this here episode is brought to you by Kate and David Guess what Kate and David did? They went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution to help us keep the, the virtual lights on. All I want to do is break even in this world. And Kate and David, thank you so much. This here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. All right. So. I am going to read a piece of listener feedback here on the front end of this, uh, and then we'll have others on, we'll have more on the back end of this, but I really, I don't know, this one just kind of um, stuck with me, it struck with me, it meant a lot to me. Not that the others don't, I just, but I just wanted to read this one on the front end. Patty writes in, and she says, Ola, Texas Juan, <laughs> that got me right off the bat. I love that. There's a friend of mine here. There's a few of them, actually, but one in particular, a Curry. He calls me Juan M. when he sees me at the meetings, and I absolutely love it. But anyway, Patty writes, and she says, Hola, Texas Juan. I just wanted to let you know how much your podcasts have changed my life. I started listening to the Sober Speak podcast at the beginning of the pandemic after hearing you, John M., on the recovery show. She says, I was feeling depressed and anxious, being holed up with my loved ones and throngs of addiction and mental health problems. I felt like I was on a merry-go-round and my mind was spinning out of control and I could not slow it down or stop it. I have since learned, as was in morbid reflection, I started listening so I could fix others, but soon realized that I was powerless and I needed to fix myself. So I joined AA and Al-Anon, and I have finished my first round of 12 steps, and I am a new sponsor with my first sponsee. Your podcast were lifesavers 
during my darkest hours. And I would listen to you so I could fall asleep and have the strength to face the next morning. Life is much happier in recovery and self-care is now a priority for me. Don't change anything about your podcast, John. I love the intros and the listener O feedback (laughs) and your sense of humor lifts my spirit. The sillier, the better. Just the medicine that I need. You have many times wondered why God picked you up by the scruff of the neck and saved you. He's talking about what I've said on other times, but, uh, and then she says, it was so you could save all of us, greatly Patty S., Well, I don't know if I'm saving all of you. I'm just another bozo on the bus, but I get it, Patty. It takes all of us, and God bless you. (laughs) Thanks for writing in. All right, everybody, now on to a little Mr. Mr. Gary K. Okay, so this is an episode. This is a couple episodes. I'm going to have them back-to-back coming up here. Uh, This is Gary K., Live part one, and next week it will be Gary K. Live part two. We we recorded this actually back in December. I think it was at the beginning of December, middle of December. Anyway, but I'm just now getting around to releasing it. My apologies. I've had a lot of people asking me, when is that one going to come out as an episode? And now, here you are. It is coming out. Uh, a lot of you know, a lot of you are going to know. This may be your first exposure to Gary K., but he has been on the pod many times in the past. He is one of what I like to call the fan favorites. Uh, I know you're going to love Gary Kay. This is just basically, we had a group of friends in, right? This was called a Sober Speak Live event, and we had it at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church here in Frisco, Texas. And uh, so many friends from both the Frisco group and all kinds of other groups showed up for this event, and it was great just to get together with everybody. We had Gary Kay live on a stage and I was able to basically all I do is just throw up a couple questions here and there right and he does the rest and uh, but but it was a a night filled with family fun laughter and it was just for me it was absolutely magical so Anyway, I'm going to ask Gary a bunch of questions, and you're going to have him for, like I said, not only this episode, but the episode that is going to be released next week as well. Everybody, like Patty O says, (laughs) we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. You know, I got that. Some guy wrote in from Ireland once, I think. Uh, this has been a long time ago when I first started the podcast, and, and it was just kind of like a putting an Irish spin on something that was going to occur later. And so anyway, I uh, appreciate you guys bearing with me. And once again, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this here episode. Enjoy, Gary Kay. So without further ado, everybody, please welcome Mr. Gary Kay. Coming up, Gary. Yeah. Good to see you, brother. Good to see. You. First things first. I want to. So, Gary, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live in this great land of ours, please. First of all, good evening, everyone. I am an alcoholic. My name is Gary Kincaid, and I am really, 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 really grateful for a sobriety date and for a new life. Mine started July 25th of 1994 out in Odessa, Texas, and today I live in Sulphur Springs, Texas. Glad you're here, Gary. This is going to be great. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So, Gary, why don't you give everybody a little bit of a background about yourself. In other words, I know you were a a Methodist pastor, you were a counselor. Just let them know, in fact, we're here in a Methodist church, right? That seems to happen often. (laughs) (laughs) I met, I believe her name was Laura, the pastor that was over, and reminded her I was a Perkins graduate, uh, but they kicked me out 
<laughs> and not a Perkins of the, uh, of the ministry in the Methodist Church. I was a therapist, and they kicked me out. <laughs> I was a school teacher. And the state of Texas has seen to it that your children will never be bothered by me. <laughs> so uh, was is the uh, operative word there. And they were all late in kicking me out. It should have been done earlier. Well, so what else do you want to kind of give, just a thumbnail sketch of your background to kind of give people a sense of where you came from, who you are, and then we'll go into some questions. Well, let's see. I was raised in Odessa. I'm an only child. I do have an older brother. Uh, <laughs> and usually it's only an AA that they get that. <laughs> Uh, I do say, as a result of the grace of God through this program for the last 28 years, my brother has had a brother, and that's one of the greatest gifts of the program. Mm -hmm. uh, family, uh, working-class folks, good parents, I was loved. We had alcoholism in our family. Uh, probably when I was a kid, uh, that Methodist Church Youth Fellowship was the safe place for me. I was the guy that read every book in the library, uh, had a lot of potential. Any other potential <laughs> folks out here? Any of y'all like me when you were kids thought they were bragging on you when they said he's got so much potential, but we just can't get it out of it? Uh, went off to college, Texas A&M. And my reason for choosing A&M is I wanted to go to a Southwest Conference school, and it was the least expensive. Uh, that's night. That was back a ways. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah, I was out growing my hair long and taking some of the money I made that summer to buy a bunch of clothes to go to college, and I got to A&M, found out it was all core, and there went the hair, and I didn't ever get to wear the clothes. I didn't drink. In high school, my mother had asked me to promise not to drink, which may be the only promise really I'd ever made and kept in my life. So April the 21st of 1966 was my first drink, my first drunk. That was a couple of weeks past my 19th birthday, and John, it was time. Uh, the guys at A&M had been pushing me to drink all year, and for whatever reason, I hadn't. I look back on it now, and I know that I believe I had gone as far as I could go without drinking. I had other ways to divert myself or to make myself okay, and most of those were with stories. Uh, in school, it was, you know, performance, and, but getting away from school, A&M at that time, freshmen could not have cars on the campus. It's a long time ago, folks. <laughs> and we would go home with people on the weekends, and I'd been there about five months when I realized, hell, I can never take anybody home to Odessa with me, because I told them stories about what kind of guy I was in Odessa. This wonderful athlete, great stu stud. I was, I had girls all over the place. <laughs> I realized, hell, if I took them home with me, they'd figure that out. So nobody ever went home with me. But by that April, I remember the day, it's Aggie Muster Day. It comes on the same day every year. Very ironically, nine years to the day are going to be when my children are born. I have twins, a son and a daughter. We got into San Antonio that night. The guy we were staying with, his dad had each of us a fifth of whiskey. Mine was Southern Comfort. <laughs> yeah, I've lived in Texas my whole life, and up to that point in time, I had never had a conversation with an Hispanic person. 
We went out that early Friday morning to little Mexican polka clubs, and man, I talked to a bunch of them that night. <laughs> and a number of things occurred that I remembered some of them, but I did not know their importance until I got a sponsor. Uh, sat down with me. I've always said my first sponsor twice. We talked about two hours. And I always want to throw this in. In our book, it says that an alcoholic properly armed with facts about himself can often win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a matter of hours, not a couple seconds after the meeting saying, here's my phone number, call if you need something. Hours. It's a big difference. And Jerry probed me. He got information from me. And I guess I was willing to talk. And I do not believe that man ever listened to me again after that. <laughs> he remembered everything I said. And from then on, he used what I'd said in those first four hours against me. <laughs> but when we got together, I, I take a long time to answer questions. That's all right. Figure that out. <laughs> He did some things early on that are part of my life today, and I did not realize really about everything that's a part of my Alcoholics Anonymous program was given to me in the first 15 months. You know, I didn't realize that. Uh, I'm one of those kind, like many of you, something can happen this year, and two years from now, I realize what happened this year. But he got me a big book. Hardcover, third edition. And he turned to that blank page and he said, I want you to write your name and your dry date on that page. And this was, there was nothing condescending about this. I've never been talked down to. I've never been yelled at. I have felt a hundred times like I was being yelled at, but that was all up here. And he said, this blank page represents what you know about the guy whose name is on that page. And this blank page represents what you know about what's wrong with that guy. And your job from now on in AA is to do everything necessary to preserve and protect that dry date. And if you'll do that, it will eventually take care of all the problems in your life. Not with the outcome that you might suggest, but it'll handle all of them. And he told me, in this book, don't ever make a mark in it. Don't ever underline anything. Don't write anything in the margin. Don't make any notes. This is going to be your solution book. And if you mark in it or you underline in it, it's liable to always mean what it meant on the day that you marked in it. And what was working for you five years ago may not work for you today. You need to go in with fresh eyes. So I've still got that solution book. And he very quickly said, if you want to get one and just mark it all over the place, that's fine. I heard somebody early on tell a sponsee, I believe if Bill Wilson wanted it all yellow highlighted, he had had it printed that way. I don't know. <laughs> but we got started, and I bring up the April 21st thing because I'm like all of us. I am by then totally defeated. I hated myself. I was so ashamed of the father I was. And I was so ashamed of the son I was and should have been ashamed about so many other things. And I knew the pressing, I thought, problems of that moment. And Jerry said, no, I don't, I don't want to talk about where you ended up, Gary. Let's talk about where you started out. Let's go all the way back and let's find out what's wrong with you and how long you've had that and where it took root. So he took me back to that first drunk. We went out to those little Mexican polka clubs, and I drank every bit of that Southern Comfort. 
I drank a lot of beer. I drank everything those guys put in front of me that night. And I discovered what is for me one of the most important words in recovery. My experience that night is I did not get arrested. I did not get in a fight. I didn't get sick. I don't guess. I don't remember a minute of the night. But I do know I had fun. And that's important. And I knew I had fun because the next morning those guys told me I had fun. (laughs) And they had some photographs. (laughs) Now, some of you young people can go Google Polaroid. It was back in the day of the Polaroid. It's a long time before I learned you do not keep any photographic evidence of the night before lying around. But all those photographs of me, I was with women. So I knew I had fun. (laughs) I've always told folks I was 19 years old. I was a long-time, hardcore, card-carrying member of Sex Without Partners. (laughs) And I love being in the room with others of you. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) And I don't have a clue if anything happened that night, but just the idea that something may have happened. And I truly believe, folks, that I probably spent my first three, four years of drinking with the idea that something might happen. And it took a sponsor to show me that there's another side of that coin. And it was something that was going on in my life before I ever took a drink. I had never been okay right here, right now, doing what I was doing with the people I was with. And that idea that something might happen, there's going to be something out there, was, was fantastic. And I believe that's where I began pursuing the drink. Those guys also told me that they didn't believe I'd never drank before. They said, you drank us under the table. Of course, I was proud of that. I thought... I'm just one of those people that was born with a tremendous capacity. And it took all those years later and a lot of education and a lot of training where one would think that I might could have stumbled across this idea, but I never did. That that thing that he talks about in the book from the beginning and talks about a lot in the book, that we are bodily and mentally different from our fellows. That bodily difference, I believe, manifested itself, in my case, that first night out. It's what Dr. Selkworth describes as the allergy of the body. That when I began to drink, and Jerry helped me see this by looking back over my life, I really never, ever could guarantee how much I'm going to drink once I got started. Now, of course, all of us can go out to lunch with our family and say, no, just one. That's all I have. Of course, if you're like me, I don't spend the rest of the day with those folks. (laughs) But I believe that I had that allergy of the body from the first night out. The bodily and mentally different, the mental part took a little longer. But I believe that was already there in my case by the idea that you've heard every speaker probably say as a kid always felt different. I don't know if every kid doesn't feel that way. I know I had that experience of just not really being okay right here, right now. And that first experience with alcohol was the first great spiritual awakening I ever had in my life. I mean, it 
And I didn't say those words out loud. You know, ah, I found God, or here's the elixir of life. I experienced that. And I was off and running, and it's going to take a long time before I'm sitting there with Jerry going back over that first night. Because, see, it was real easy for me to say to him, folks, my God, I'm going through another divorce. I have these two children. They're 19 years old. I'm so ashamed to be their father, and they're certainly letting me know that they're kind of ashamed for me to be their dad. I venerated my mom growing up. She had been killed by a drunk driver eight years before that. Funeral at Fort Sam, my stepdad was a colonel in the Air Force, and I mean a huge crowd, and Demma's son is the one who's so drunk that when they did the 21-gun salute, I start blowing snot and fall out of my chair in front of the grave in a fetal position, and I just say, how can you be so sorry as to be drunk at your mother's funeral? I'm thinking about that. I've got I've got a drunk truck, and many of y'all know what drunk automobiles are. The transmission's going out of it. It's about 10 or 12-year-old Ford Ranger. I'm going to be fired as soon as I go back to work because I haven't been going to work. I was a parole officer, by the way. So if some of you over the years have had reason to wonder about your supervising officers, who knows? Could be. (laughs) One of the officers had had a wedding three weeks before that, and as my date, now I'm married, but I took a date, (laughs) uh, and she was the wife of one of my proleys who was back in prison. (laughs) Seemed perfectly normal to me. (laughs) Uh, I do love that at one point in the big book, Bill does just go ahead and say it for all of us about some things we were especially stupid. So I'm never ashamed to use that word. But I've got all this stuff going on and what I'm to find out later. So grateful for being sponsored out of the first 164 pages of the big book. So grateful that in my case, I never was in a go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I've got nothing against that. We were out in West Texas. We had some people that lived 200 miles from a meeting. I'm grateful that I was taken into those steps very quickly, long before I knew what I was doing. But what Jerry told me when I began telling that, he said, Gary, if you've come here to get your wife back, go ahead and hit the door. If you're hoping that you'll get sober and all of a sudden your kids will call you dad and the birds will sing and the violins will play, you may as well hit the door. If you're looking for another job, and I knew when I went back to mine, I'd be fired, so I didn't go back. And by the way, about a week after that, he took me back. He said, You need the dignity of being fired. And I didn't think it was very dignified, but it it came through. But what I'm to find out later, the kids, the health, the IRS had just put me on their amends list. I hadn't filed for the previous eight years. (laughs) The job, the money, all of that stuff, those are not problems. And I know we have new people watching and here, and, and it feels like, you know, what Silkworth says in his letter that their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. No lie. But I discovered later on those are not problems, those are consequences. And there's a big difference between a problem and a consequence. And I'm the guy that my whole life kept trying to fix the consequence and never identified the problem that's going to keep spewing them out. 
And what Jerry did was a real favor for me by saying, I, I'm not interested in working with someone unless you're interested in doing what we do. We went over in a meeting last night about there are some who will not or cannot do this simple program. I'll tell you, I'm one of those that thought I could not. I really did not believe there was going to be any way I could find a way to live without drinking. I'm an alcoholic that can't not not drink. I've showed up drunk the last four or five years. And remember, it's progressive. That's what Jerry wanted me to see. Don't look at all the, the final culmination. Go back and see where you had the same thing going on in the beginning so that new people can identify with any of us at some time in our progression into this thing and hopefully not have to go as far as, as some of us did. But I've been trying to fix these consequences, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. So we got started, and that, that kind of identifies, you know, who I was. I'd been married a, a bunch. Uh, <laughs> some of y'all have heard my story. If you're NAA, let this be a word of comfort to you. After three, you don't have to give the number. You can just say several. <laughs> we know what you're talking about. <laughs> but that works for DWIs. That works for trips to jail. That works for loss of jobs. None of those things are the things which make you and I an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic because of that bodily and mental difference. The allergy of the body coupled with the obsession of the mind. So when I'm sharing my story with someone, I don't want to talk about all of the drunk log of consequences. I want to talk about the power that alcohol had on my life throughout my life. Well, that was a world record, Gary. Huh? That was a world record for a thumbnail sketch right there. <laughs> By the way, I do want to mention I've been to those Sex Without Partners meetings, and, uh, <laughs> and my understanding is they get really out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's a program that white knuckling it won't work on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we digress. All right, so, I, so there is one. There is one question, kind of a little uh, off the beaten path here. I want to, because as you know, you've been on the podcast many times, and I get people who write in, and especially a few of the ladies have written in regarding your smooth, silky, sexy voice. Have you always had that voice? <laughs> uh. I reckon, you know, that's, uh, I will tell you this, and this is, this is a true story. You know, usually when someone in AA says this is a true story, I kind of doubt it. <laughs> I used to punish my children by singing to them because I can't sing. I had one church that they had controls like this because we would have sometimes televised or big services so they could control the sound. They cut my sound off during all the singing. So. Do you have people who recognize you through your voice? Yeah, I was telling John a couple years ago, right before COVID, I was in San Francisco talking to a ticket agent, and a young lady came up. She said, are you Gary Kay? I said, I'm Gary Kincaid. And she said, I know that voice anywhere. I've heard you on Sober Speak. <laughs> was up at, uh, in Baltimore uh, in June. Uh, at a conference and had someone up again come in and say, that is him. I told you that was going to be that guy. You know, they just get the initials. They said they'd recognize the voice. <laughs> I try to keep that in mind because I used to try back before cell phones and all that, we just had these landlines. And a couple of times my brother has told me about when he would call and I'd recognize it was him and I'd per try to pretend like he had got a recording. 
Said it might have worked until I tried to do the beep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I want to read a question from a listener here. Uh, And the listener is Barb. She wrote in, by the way, if you want to submit your questions online, that'd be a good time. In fact, Casey, are you, are you back there yet? Yes. Okay, thank you. I can't see. Uh, if, we're, we'll probably have some questions if you have any from the audience there in just a moment. But it says my, this is from Barb, and it says, my question for Gary is, as a sponsor, I try to match the energy that my sponsee puts in, going to meetings with them, working the steps together, showing up for milestones, being flexible when they want to change the verbiage in the blue book. Not sure about that, but anyway, says I'm patient when they say, I know, and I'm not going to do it this way, but when I ask for a daily check, in and they don't do it and another relapse occurs, at what point do I say enough is enough and uh, they are not willing to go to any length? So I know you sponsor, have sponsored a lot, you sponsored a lot of people through the podcast. Uh, So when you're working with somebody who won't match your enthusiasm, how do you handle something like that? I don't even think about that. Uh, In meeting with them, I try to do what Jerry had done with me get all the information I can, talk, and then I'm not real interested in listening to much after that. Uh, certainly a backstory if they call up and say, I need to tell you what she, I, I don't want to hear what she, he, they, it, or done. But the way it was done with me, and then I've got, you ought to get Ricky on sometime for sponsorship, but I'd kind of make a contract with them in the very beginning. Here's what we are going to do. Here's the commitment I'm going to give. This is the schedule we're going to be on. And if you want to do that, I'll, I'll do it. If you don't, you can ask someone else. And I will set the appointments. Uh, we'll negotiate that. And by the way, today with Zoom, there's never a reason for anyone to not be able to keep an appointment. You can do it. You can always reach them if you want to set it at 3 o'clock in the morning. And we get started. Uh, I go through it very, very quickly because the book does. You know, for me, I want to remember that in the beginning, there were no meetings. There were no sponsors. They got a book. And evidently, somebody in the family or a friend or sometimes even the alcoholic became so desperate that they sent the money in to get the book. So Bill has... In some of his letters, he mentions he's writing the book as if he's having a one-on-one conversation with me. And it's pretty clear in the book. It doesn't take very long. Uh, Usually in those first two meetings, I'm going to get anyone to the point of saying, well, from what you're telling me, let me ask you these two questions. If when you're drinking, do you have little control over the amount you drink? And when you've really wanted to, if you found you couldn't quit entirely, if they say yes, then it's like page 44 says, you're probably an alcoholic. Then I'll take them back into the doctor's opinion and into Bill's story and give introduction to the bodily and the mentally different, the allergy and the obsession. Not trying to tell them what it is, but to allow them to do what Jerry did for me. He took me back to my experience so I could get something out of the book and say, yeah, that's true for me. Because I've never met one of us that's going to believe anything because somebody says it. I can only accept it if I could find it in my own experience. At that point in time, John, I don't care if they come in saying I'm an alcoholic, sex addict, uh, tweaker, shooting heroin, uh, gambling. I don't care about that. But when we get to 44, I'm going to suggest to them that if I'm going to continue to work with them, they become just a garden variety drunk. And there are reasons for that. Uh, 
know, it tells me I'm not going to stay here and I'm not going to grow spiritually unless I'm willing to share what's been given to me with somebody else, and we've got to make that identification. So step one's really pretty easy. I've never had anybody write about it. Nobody ever asked me to. You know, it's when you're drinking, can you guarantee how much you're going to drink? It doesn't mean every time I, I'm not one that says, I set out to get drunk every time I drank. I didn't. I wanted to go out, chase women, raise hell, have fun, and I just kept overshooting the mark. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had those times when I really wanted to stop. Uh, My daughter was nominated as homecoming queen in 1992. And I'll share these kind of stories with the, with the sponsee at this time. And she wanted me to come be her escort, which she sh- should have. I tell people she wanted me. Her stepdad, all he did was put a roof over her head and buy her clothes and feed her, you know, but I was her dad. <laughs> and I wasn't going to drink going from Odessa to Sulphur Springs. I made up my mind. We've got powerful minds. I made it to Big Spring, Texas. Thought, well, I'll just get half a pint. Colorado City, another half pint. Sweetwater, another half pint. We get up to Ranger, and I think, God, these half pints are killing me. I'm, I'm broke, so I get a half gallon. Long story short, I show, show up so drunk. Then on the night she was crowned homecoming queen, I fell down while escort. And her brother was one of the football players. I really wanted to not drink that day. It's going to be two more years before I come to you people. And Jerry helped me find times when my children were 11 years old. Are you going to be back on time and you need to pick this up for the birthday? Sure, I'll be here. Went out to play golf and I didn't show up till Sunday. I did not want to miss the children's birthday. But it's, you know, oh, how Looney used to say, my grand-grand sponsor, he said the, the real shame of alcoholism is the alcoholic's ability to endure so much pain for so long, not only for ourselves, but for the people around us, until it just damn near kills us. So if they say, yes, I'm powerless over alcohol, the unmanageable for me is not the IRS or any of that. The unmanageable is the reason I can't stay sober. After we've detoxed, we're not craving it anymore. You know, if you're in here and you haven't had a drink in 30 days or 45 days, you will not crave a drink. That's a physical thing. It's that mental obsession. We begin to think about it. And so he showed me out of the book and out of my own life experience. Step one's a bad step. There's nothing sweet about it. If I drink, I'm screwed. If I don't drink, I'm screwed. Because every time I go back to drinking, I do it out of a totally sober mind. And therefore, he can get me into the idea, Kincaid, we ain't never going to change the bodily difference. But we better get to work on the mind, or you'll always drink again. And then I'll ask them, do you believe in God? Because that's, it goes right to God at, on page 44. Nine out of ten will say, well, sure. And I'll say, well, wait a minute. Let's, let's couch it a different way. Do you really believe that alcohol is a power greater than you? Yes, is what I told Jerry. 
He said, do you believe that there's any power in the universe greater than alcohol? And I said, well, sure. And he said, good, we're on step three. And it's that simple. I didn't need to write about what I, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm putting any of this down. I'm just telling you it was never my experience and no one I've ever worked with has had the experience of writing all this stuff. It's yes and yes. And if I told him no, he would have got me into the fourth chapter. Now, the fourth chapter is very important to me today, but my first time through the steps, we skipped it. Because it says in there, as soon as a person believes or is willing to believe, we move on. So uh, I'll do that with them, and if they're willing to make the appointment, uh, I'm going to set the time aside. And basically, I give one no-show. And I'll set another one, and, uh, and I don't fire people. I don't throw them away. I just tell them, look, I don't have the time to commit to, uh, to you if you're not willing to, to do what I'm asking you to do. And I'll be available whenever you are. It's page 96 in our book. Uh, I would suggest... To anyone, read Working With Others. It answers most of these questions. And I've had people on Zoom. I had a guy, when it first started, I was speaking at a California meeting, and after a meeting, a guy said, Gary, I know you don't remember me, but like 20 years ago, you were chairing the meeting and gave me to a chip. They gave me my desire chip and took me out afterwards to a catfishing company and wrote down some stuff for me and told me, and I do this to people, I told him I was his sponsor. We all need a sponsor. If you don't have somebody asking you, go tell a newcomer you're their sponsor. (laughs) They don't know the difference, and by the time they learn, it's too late. And I'm, I'm serious about that. That deal of, and it happens in a lot of larger meetings I've been at, the packet is really great. We'll all sign it. Here's all the phone numbers. One alcoholic out of 50 is going to use those phone numbers. If you read the big book, every time they've got a sober alcoholic and one and a, and a pigeon, the sober alcoholic approaches the newcomer. They don't wait to be approached. So I would think, you know, we have these meetings about if you're willing to sponsor, raise your hands, and that's fine, but I would think that anyone in the room who has experienced the power of this recovery is going to be seeing who picks up a desire chip and make sure that person doesn't leave that meeting without an invitation to go get coffee and we get their number and we call them. Jerry called me every day the first couple of weeks. And he had his, he had four guys that were on me like birds on a June bug. And they, they called me and they took me to meetings and it was getting the car. And I went a lot of places I didn't want to go, but I'm glad I got taken. And about second week, third week, it was right, I did my fourth step uh, and fifth step in my third Saturday. So it was right before that. He called me. He said, now hang up and call me back right quick. And I did. He said, hang up and do it again. And I did. And he said, see, you can do that from now on. (laughs) But I love that. I believe if he had told me, okay, I'll be your sponsor. I want you to call me every morning at 7 o'clock, you'd have a different speaker probably. Uh, It's a partnership of equals that one party just doesn't know yet that they're one of the equals. And I need that guy or that gal uh, as much, if not more, than they need me. Ricky, the other day I turned around that page 96 from the point of a sober alcoholic. If you haven't found someone eager enough yet 
uh, that wants what you have, search out another alcoholic. <laughs> you know, that I need to be always looking for someone. For the most part, since I was 11 months sober, uh, I've nearly always had a brand new person. Now, does that mean I've got a high success rate? No, but like that guy that on that Zoom meeting, he said, uh, I've now got three years. We had met 20 years before. He's now got three years. So we plant a seed. We try to do what we can. And then we got to leave the results up to a higher power. So don't write scripts with your sponsee. Uh, God never reads the scripts. You know, so I, I think the main thing you give a sponsee is time and what would be the right word? Uh, consistency, but I keep my word. I'm going to be available. I've sat on my front porch. I've lived there 10 years, probably, I'm going to say 45 times in 10 years, waiting on someone that we had an appointment and they didn't show. And I got this from my sponsor. It gives me about 45 minutes to read my big book that I wouldn't have otherwise, waiting on the next one. I love what Ricky has, I'll mention him from time to time. You get some really sorry people as sponsees every once in a while. And I, I'm talking about Ricky. <laughs> and I need those kind of people. But uh, he started a number of years ago and shared with me, he reads two to four pages of the big book every day, very slowly, seeing what the gremlins have snuck in and put in there since the last time. <laughs> and it's so he can be better prepared for the next person he's going to work with, that anything that comes up we can send them in that book, and we can find a solution for it. And I like that. So I reluctantly have to, since he's here, I'll have to give him credit. If he weren't here, I'd just tell y'all that I came up with that. <laughs> Gary Kay, once again, thank you so, so much. As I mentioned on the front end of this episode, that was the first part of the conversation that I had with Gary Kay back in December. And we will have the second part of our conversation coming up next week. So be, su be sure to tune in. Now, remember, folks, we do not want you sharing your gossip or your STDs, but we would love for you to share this episode with a friend or family member. Keep in mind. This episode may be just what they need today. So take time to pause your little devicey thingy there and hit that little share button and get it on over to somebody. Like I said, uh, maybe just what they need today. Now on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Alina writes in, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, A-L-E-Y-N-A. -E Alina writes in, and she says, Hi, John, I recently came across your podcast in my quest, ooh, I like that word, to learn more about alcoholism. It's been a rocky time for my long-term partner and I. He's an alcoholic who has been intermittently sober versus relapsed over the last two years. I really appreciate learning about this disease from your podcast. It has been so enlightening. David G and Billy K episodes have really touched me. They are so wise. I agree, Alina. My whole understanding has been upended. You're a good writer, uh, Alina, much better than I am for sure. Anyway, she says, thank you for your podcast. I'm sure it is helping so many people, including the loved ones of alcoholics. And yes, I think I originally started this out thinking it was just going to be a bunch of my buddies from the meeting are listening in on this. And uh, 
But what we have found is over time, there's a lot of people who are curious about the 12 steps. They are curious about uh, uh, their their loved ones, as you mentioned there, Alina, and uh, they're, they're curious about the disease of alcoholism and not only how it affects the individual, but how it affects the family. And I'm glad that you were able to tune in and uh, use this as another tool in your toolbox. Appreciate it, Alina. Adrian writes in and Adrian says, oh yeah, I remember Adrian. He says, hi, John. I listened to the pod where you shared really emotionally, my friend, and it touched me hard. You said that your story is available on some other AA podcast. Please send me a link with it. I sent that to him. He's a glutton for punishment. <laughs> Mr. Adrian is. Listen, if you just hear me once, Adrian, that's enough. You don't need to hear me over and over. I guarantee you, but I appreciate your interest. He says, anyway, I don't know how I missed it, but the pod 188 with Tom H is great. If you see him in person, send him my regards. Uh, see you, my friend, soon. God bless you. And uh, I sent your best wishes over to Tom just texted him basically Adrian and uh, got his message over got your message over to him. And then Adrian wrote in again right after that. And he says, Hi, John. I listened yesterday to the latest pod, and I would like to thank you for your comments. I think he's talking about when I read something he wrote on the air. And then he says, Lastly, sorry for the confused email from yesterday. I'm in a hospital right now, high fever and not very coherent. I didn't start off the year very good, but God has a plan for me. Thank you for your service, John. God bless you, my brother. And he says, uh, Adrian, P.S. The 3rd of October is an important day in Germany. So Adrian had referenced the 3rd of October. It was a day that my brother had actually, actually, it's not when he passed away. It was my my brother's birthday, uh, and he died from this disease, from alcoholism and drug addiction. And anyway, I, I, I... I must have been talking about that when I was on the air. And he he said, uh, but this is an important day in Germany. It's when East and West Germany came together, which I had no idea. Thank you, Adrian. But now, but now, but no, I found that it's your, now that I found out that it's your brother's birthday, I'm very sorry for your loss, John. Thank you, Adrian. I appreciate you writing in about that. And by the way, I, I wrote him back and I was asking him what was going on. He's in the hospital with a high fever and not coherent. He said he was getting better. And uh, Adrian, keep me updated there. I hope you're doing uh, better, my friend. Uh, Danny writes in and Danny says, hey, John, Danny, I here and I'm sober since September 11th of 2019. I recently discovered your podcast and man, has it helped me in a nice recovery cocoon at work. Uh, I always ask people if they find a quarter in the street and they are happy they found that quarter or upset that it isn't a dollar. When I listen to your podcast, it really always puts me off in the state of mind that makes me so happy uh, just to be walking in the street. Thanks for all you do. And I hope to come to Texas someday, brother. God bless you and your people. He says, I live in Ocala, Florida. Oh, yes. I remember this because I wrote him back and I said, I've actually flown in in a little private plane into Ocala, Florida before. And he mentioned that he lives very close to Ocala, Florida. He says, I guess the main thing about my recovery is that I've turned my life over and it is no longer mine to live. I gave up three years ago, but I just appreciate what you do and can't tell you how many times you and many different speakers have brought a tear to my eye and the best of ways. I work as a chef at a recovery center uh, and I serve on the board of directors for a recovery clubhouse and none of that would be possible without AA. I appreciate you for sure and if no one has told you today, I love you. Have a great week. I love you too, my friend. He says, happy Monday. P.S., Laugh out loud, I really loved Earl H. And I recently used my horrifying past actions and my ease with those actions to put a sponsee at ease with 
with his, but it was such an eye-opener, and I instantly thought of Earl's plane crash story and how he helped that lady. I do have a home group now called the New Attitudes in Ocala, Florida. So if y'all's out there and you're listening to this and you are from the New Attitude group in Ocala, Florida... Uh, please, please, please tell Danny I said hello. Anyway, he says, I have a sponsor and a, and sponsees and my favorite things to do. And my favorite thing to do is help others no matter what. So if there's anything I can do for you, John, let me know. And especially if you're coming through Ocala, I appreciate you, John, and love you. Well, thank you, Danny. I appreciate you. And you're right. It is all about helping others, my friend. It is all about helping others. And when I can keep my focus on that, which I'm not always able to do, I am in a much, much better place. Thanks for writing in, Danny. John writes in, and this is J-O-N, not J-O-H-N like me. By the way, if you ever want to get in touch with me or, you know, write some listener feedback or whatever, write us at J-O-H-N at Sober, or not right, me at J-O-H-N at Soberspeak.com, John at Soberspeak.com. We would love to hear from you. John, J-O-N, writes in, he says, hey, John, I live in northern British Columbia, Canada. I've been in recovery for a few years, and I've honestly been in and out repeatedly. I'm an addict uh, who alcohol has been, and alcohol has been the hardest drug to quit for. I've recently recommitted to recovery as of December 29th. I do have a great sponsor who I've never utilized the way I should have up until recently. I've started to get a new set of steps uh, I've started a new set of steps and just finished going through step three with him last night. I plan to get on step four right away. Good for you, John. And he says, I've been listening to a lot of AA speakers tape, a lot of AA speaker tapes at work lately. I run heavy equipment and I work long days. I listen to mostly NA speakers, but I have a love for AA as well. And I find myself getting more uh, getting to more as meetings lately than, uh, oh, getting to more AA meetings lately than NA due to that's what's available where I live. Yeah, there are more meetings. He says, uh, in fact, uh, my friend Andrew, I've heard him in, <laughs> in the, the rooms lately says, we're lucky uh, being alcoholic and that we, we kind of, we have the Honda Accord of addictions. <laughs> In other words, there's, there's meetings all over a place. <laughs> you don't have to search very far for them. But uh, I thought that was hilarious. Anyway, it says, I believe recovery, uh, I believe recovery is recovery and that, uh, and I can take what I get. I found Sober Speak on Spotify today and I've listened to various episodes all day long. Marty C has blown me away today with his passion. I listened to all of the episodes with him and cannot wait to listen to the next one where he continues with step four. In fact, that one's going to be already out by the time I uh, actually read this on the air, but cool. He says, I really love and I am grateful for what you are doing. Truly is a meeting between meetings. I really enjoy the interview aspect as it touches up. Uh, as it switches up from just the recorded speaker. I look forward to being a member of the Facebook group and seeing what it is all about. John D. Well, we look forward to you being a part of the Facebook group as well, Mr. John D. And if you are listening out there and you're thinking, what is John D. talking about? Well, all you got to do is go to your Facebook application, search up Sober Speak Secret Group, ask for admission into the group, and we'll get you on in there. Thank you very much, John D. Oh, and I like the uh, praying hands, and uh, what do you call that? Uh, that See, now to me, that looks like a long, like hook'em horns, longhorn sign, but I think when you do it that way, uh, you know, and then I've also seen it like, like the horns, like in rock and roll, but I don't know exactly what it means, but it's really cool little uh, emoji. I appreciate you writing, John D. Finally, 
last but not least, least, Mr. Caleb writes in. He says, hey, John, I live in Des Moines, Iowa. I've been clean and sober since June 7th of 2019. I've really enjoyed Earl H., Marty C., Reno John, and many others. I appreciate all the heavy hitters you've had on the show. I also really enjoyed one of Mark Houston's speaker tapes you played. Keep doing what you're doing, John. It is God's work. Caleb, we're all doing well. Anyway, thank you, Caleb. I I, I appreciate you. And uh, uh, that, my friends, is another episode of Sober Speak in the books. As I always say, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And then what's the other thing I like to say? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I should really write this down. Um, Oh, may God bless you and keep you until then. That's from the page 164 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I take this one week at a time, everybody. Uh, I plan to be back next week, uh, but if I'm not, I know things will go on. (laughs) This world will not miss a beat. And I'm not trying to be overly humble here. Uh, Just how it works, right? I'm here in this particular seat for, well, at least through this many episodes, 200, what is 75, something like that. Um, But who knows? This could be the last one we never know, right? Anyway, I just went off on a tangent. God bless you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. May God bless you. Keep you until then. And uh, love you guys.